Welcome back, Under the Sun listeners. New episode, new guest that I'm very excited to talk with today. Today's guest is Sean Gardner. Sean, I'm sure most of you have heard his name and read stories about this guy. And and once we get into that, you'll remember why you know who Sean Gardner is. But uh, we've got a lot of ground to cover, and I'm excited to talk to him. Sean, thanks for being on Under the Sun today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Tim. Uh, excited to talk about bikes. Well, there's a lot to talk about, and, you know, as I said, a lot of people are going to recognize your name, and, uh, you know, one of your, I don't know if you what you think about the accomplishment, but, you know, a big accomplishment you had back last year in 2020 was... You set the Everstein record, the first one to ever go under seven hours, and we're, we're going to get deeper into that story later on uh, and, and for you to sort of expand upon that. I think that's probably where most people have heard of you and know about your story and were amazed at the accomplishment. But before we get to that, I'm curious, uh, how did you get into the sport of cycling? What, what drew you into this sport? Um, yeah, so I guess kind of a a different path into cycling than the traditional European, uh, you know, rising through the juniors and everything. Um, yeah, I kind of found it pretty late in, in college, really. Um, I was, uh, I was an endurance athlete in high school. I did running track and field and cross country. So all three, all three seasons I was a runner. Um, and then I, I had a bike, but I wouldn't say I was, you know, I was not a bike rider. Um, and then in college, I went to college at Virginia Tech. Um, I wasn't quite fast enough for running at Virginia Tech. They were a D1 school. So I uh, joined the club triathlon team, and that's kind of uh, that was my intro into road biking, I guess. And I uh, did the triathlon team for freshman and sophomore year, and then um, as I was out there in Blacksburg, Virginia, um, plenty of mountains out there, uh, kind of found some group rides as I was training on my bike and, uh, slowly kind of integrated into the cycling community there. Um, and then, yeah, I guess sophomore year, the, the captain of the cycling team, uh, I guess convinced me or peer pressured me into, uh, joining the team. Um, and then, yeah, I guess. It just—it was just more fun for me. Um, triathlon is really just a just a long time trial with a couple different sports, whereas cycling, there's you know so many dynamics to it, so many strategies. Um, yeah, I guess I, I uh, you know, that's kind of where I fell in love with the sport. Just heading out into the mountains with some, with some friends, uh, doing group rides out there, um, and then yeah, I guess. That's how it started, yeah. Well, I'm glad you brought up collegiate cycling. I, I wasn't sure if that was where you really got your start in road racing. And you're one among many people who, yeah, in your case, maybe you rode a bike, you did other sports, and somehow collegiate cycling sunk its teeth into you. And it's just, it's such a unique spot in the sport. And I, I definitely want to get into to your collegiate experience so as you were doing that do you remember your first bicycle race that you had do you remember that uh was it a Um, collegiate race not a not a triathlon but a true just a pure bike bike race well i think my first actual uh bike race was this uh so i lived in richmond virginia is where my family was from uh I think it was during the summer they have this uh, training series, Brian Park, just the you know Tuesday evening uh, kind of circuit race crit that everyone comes out to, all the hitters come out to. So I think that was probably my first uh, road race that I that I can remember. Um, was and that, yeah, that was that's was that during college? Um, you know, maybe it was like the summer before college mm-hmm. I had gotten into that. Um, you know, it's a very, it's a very casual, like, I think you, you know, maybe at that point it didn't even cost any money. It's just kind of a, uh, you just, you show up and 
there's so many different skill levels. Some people are getting dropped like a hundred meters into the race and then some people are, you know, going for the win. So, um, yeah. What do yeah. you, what do you remember about that experience itself? I mean, it, it obviously did not scare you away. And later on when you were, as you said, sort of coaxed and coerced a little bit by the captain of the Virginia tech team, uh, to join the collegiate squad there, you, you had to have some sort of really good positive memory that said, you know what, I'm good. Yeah, I, I want to do this. I want to give it a try. What, what was it about bicycle racing early on that really hooked uh, you to the sport? Uh, I think it was really just the, the strategy and dynamic of a race. Um, you know, you're, you're drafting so you can, you know, try to save energy and, uh, you know, attack the field and, uh, you know, stuff like that, that I had never really, um, experienced before, I guess, cause with triathlon and then, you know, just track and field in high school. Yeah. There's some strategy involved, but not to the level that there is in cycling, you know, for the most part, it's just a solo time trial, you know, maybe you have other people around you, but you're really just going as hard as you can the whole time. Whereas cycling, you know, there's so much strategy involved that, yeah, I think that was kind of the, the biggest lure to me for racing wise, at least. Yeah. I, I think that's similar for a lot of people where it's just not pure strength and power and, mm -hmm. you know, a, a war of attrition, your brains, you have to use your brain and the better you can use your brain and be smart and tactical. Uh, you know, it's not always the, the, the strongest rider that wins the race. It's the smartest and the strongest that typically does well uh, from a collegiate standpoint Virginia Tech over the years has always had a, a really good team uh, you know especially road racers they've always stood out to me one I, the kit colors I love the kit colors uh, you know they're easy to spot and easy to find but for yourself and your development you may or may not have known this when you started how what is what did collegiate cycling what do you feel like it did for you how did it prepare you and 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 what was that experience like for you as a stepping stone into all these other things that you've done yeah i mean so first off to this day collegiate cycling is still the most fun i've had in bike racing it's just uh you know you go to these races every weekend and you're hanging out with the same dudes from other teams as well as your team. And, you know, you're staying at someone's mom's house, like, you know, 20 people in the same house, everyone's sleeping on the floor with like, you know, using a towel as a pillow. And, <laughs> you know, you, you know, she makes like, you know, 10 lasagnas for everyone. So you're filled up with lasagna and brownies the night before. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's just a pretty great time. And, you know, there's, different levels of collegiate cyclists. Some people take it more seriously than others, but you know, everyone's just hanging out that night before and on the weekend and yeah, it's just a, a great time. But yeah, I think collegiate cycling kind of set me up um, for later on down the line. Um, really there's a, there's a lot of teamwork involved in, in collegiate cycling. I think, um, you know, obviously you, you kind of see it in the Tour de France, everyone's doing lead outs and everything. And then in the, in the domestic pro Peloton, yeah, to a certain extent, but I feel like collegiate cycling is, you know, pretty extreme with lead outs and everything, just because everyone's, I feel like super hyped and excited to help their teammates out. So, um, a few, uh, I think one of the years we had probably like we were twice as big as any other team in our conference, the ACC. So we kind of, uh, um, just teamwork definitely to our advantage. So, um, yeah, it was definitely a good introduction into teamwork and just, uh, you know, cycling as a sport in general. Yeah. You know, one of the questions I get from a lot of say incoming freshmen or riders that just don't know, and, and I try to explain it the best I can. The only way sometimes is just for a young rider to experience it. And maybe you could share this right now. And that is they're trying to get a, a feel for how big and how exciting a collegiate nationals event is. You know, whether it's a mountain bike or cyclocross or road or 
whichever one, whichever discipline it might be, uh, maybe share, I mean, I guess I'm curious how many different road nationals you attended and share a little bit about just the vibe, you know, the vibe and the excitement and the hype and just the, yeah, to those things you said, the fun, the teamwork, the camaraderie, how all that comes together and how meaningful it is in the moment that you're doing it. Yeah, so my I did three collegiate nationals. Um, so that first one, my sophomore year, was um, probably was very, uh, I don't want to say overwhelming, but very exciting because, um, you know, I'd only done a few races that, that semester. That was kind of my first intro into cycling. Um, so it ended up being, that was the, the Richmond world's course that we were previewing. Yeah. So this was, I don't remember how many people are in the field, but in the ACC, we probably had like maximum 40 guys in our fields. So this, this nationals course, we had, you know, a hundred plus people in the field. So I'd never experienced a Peloton that big. So racing through you know a city circuit uh was you know pretty awesome experience you're just going around corners and uh, uh, you have tall buildings right next to you I'm, I'm just used to smaller fields you know out in the middle park or in the woods or something so yeah it was awesome and just seeing all these people i looked up to come into race and all these big names that i'd seen results from so yeah it was an awesome experience um I guess, you know, more so for me because I was from Richmond. So, you know, it's kind of my my hometown race, I guess. But that uh, that is probably one of the most exciting, dynamic courses, number one. And number two, you know, that was the test event for Worlds. So I remember uh, I remember how the city went all in on our event, all in, just as they did for Worlds. And I just remember thinking how how awesome would it have been to been able to ride in that myself uh but it was a very challenging course and i i didn't realize that yeah yeah that being a national championship and your hometown that had to be a really cool experience for you yeah it was awesome they uh they ended up shutting down the whole city um for whatever like the whole weekend or three or four days however long it was um just because like I don't know how long the circuit was like six or seven miles, but we really just encompassed the whole city. So, you know, just cars couldn't get in, um, the local college VCU, they shut down classes for that, the last half of the week there. Um, and yeah, they, so we were the, I guess when you have a world championships, you have to have like an official test event. So yeah, we ended up being the Guinea pig event for it, which, uh, was probably a good thing. We ended up, um, so the, the famous Libby Hill, we did that. Um, but we, I guess, tested out a little cobbled section before that hill that they ended up not using. Um, it's kind of a, a downhill cobbled section yep. that just caused carnage every single lap. Bottles were flying, yep. you know, people were wiping out. So I think it was probably good that they let the collegiate kids tell them that that's, that's a no-go. yeah. I remember that section in the in the uh, course review and us riding it, and yeah, I remember the aftermath. <laughs> uh, yeah. Just this, yeah, it was it was it was overwhelming because it was a fast, it it was a fast little descent as well. So yeah, it, it, but so you get that you know experience, and you know you get some more under your belt, and and just how how that event, how collegiate nationals, you know, as riders, we have these seasons, uh, as collegiate riders, we have our regular seasons, but it's all really to build us up, to get us ready because of nationals, because if you can get a top result at collegiate nationals nowadays, teams are paying attention to that, you know, it's, it's essentially a U23 nas- mini national championship, and it's the same riders who are going to race U23 nationals uh, during later on in the summer. Uh, how how did those championships really keep you motivated and excited to stay in this sport? And and because you know you've been in this sport a while, sometimes those experiences can send riders in the opposite direction. But for you, 
you stayed hungry. What, what do you feel like it did for you and what was the difference for you? Yeah, I think it really showed what the, the higher level competition was capable of. Um, you know, I know that first championships I did in Richmond, like I was just barely hanging on and, you know, half the race was me, like half getting dropped, half hanging on, just like suffering at the back of the field. And then, you know, I could look up and see these guys just sprinting ahead at the front like it was nothing. And yeah, that's kind of what just kept me motivated. And I was like, wow, you know, if I, if I train some more, I can be the one putting the hurt on everyone else. So yeah, I mean, I think it was just motivation to, um, you know, hurt other people's legs, I guess. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I could see like, so I did three championships and uh, yeah, I just, progressively got better each time the first one um i don't know what place i got but yeah it was probably just a mediocre result and then the two ones i did in nashville i you know improved every time i went like a top 10 and then a podium so yeah it was just cool seeing uh you know just the hard training go into you know getting better results so yeah and so you were able to use that uh, when when you were finishing up your degree at Virginia Tech, and I I think you uh, have an engine engineering degree, correct? Correct, mechanical engineering. Okay, so you're wrapping up your education, you're, you're making this progression that you're talking about. What was going through your mind as you're about to graduate? Because everybody has that you know uh, that moment where man, the dream is the dream is almost over. Uh, what am I going to do next? What was going through your mind as you're making these decisions about uh, your future as a person, as uh, someone maybe looking for a job, or you know, you were able to have a breakthrough and crack through and get on some uh, some elite development teams and pro teams. You know, what what was that progression like, and what was the experience like, uh, and and how were you able to really pull it off? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, that was definitely, uh, some of the thoughts going through my head, um, as well as I'm sure other, other collegiate cyclists as they are approaching graduation's head. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I had, I'd been preparing my whole collegiate career. Um, I'd been doing some internships and, uh, you know, professional resume building stuff, but yeah, as, as I got more and more into cycling, I was, you know, kind of exposed to uh the sport of professional cycling and how people can uh make a living doing it or uh you know at least partially make a living doing it so yeah i mean i guess uh so the story i'll t i'll say that um during the my final uh, championships. Um, I think it, it overlapped graduation with us mm. and it was in Asheville. So it's like a three hour drive from college. So I drove down to the championships. I think I did the TT on, let's say it was a Friday, drove back for the graduation on Saturday and then drove back for the road race. Um, so there was a lot of traveling, but I think that kind of showed my uh, dedication to the sport over, over school, I guess, mm -hmm. or I guess at least what the school meant to me. Um, so yeah, I guess that summer after, um, yeah, I was kind of like partially looking for a job, partially just, uh, you know, kind of riding my bike, kind of exploring what teams were out there. Um, and then, yeah, I guess that later that fall, I kind of took the summer to do that. And then, Later that fall, I was able to get a contract with uh, the Gateway um, domestic team. So, yeah, there, it was. I uh, ended up kind of going that path. And so, what year did you graduate? And then, when did you begin with Gateway? And what what has been that Devo process like uh, for you? What's it been like uh, since that happened? Um, I graduated in 2016, and then uh, I signed with Gateway that that fall. So I guess 2017, January 1st, was my first official date with Gateway Development Team. Um, but yeah, the Gateway Development Team—they were 
They're a super good team. Um, they have, you know, lots of fast riders, super good support. Um, I guess they weren't necessarily, um, air quotations, a pro team, but, you know, we received professional support, everything, you know, everything was covered. Um, and yeah, they've, you know, if you, if you take a look at their, uh, alumni, uh, quite a, quite a stacked alumni list there. Um, I guess Sepkus, he, he's an alumni. He most recently got some Tour de France results if people, uh, if people know him, yeah. but, uh, yeah, they're, you know, it's just an awesome team. And then I think development wise, they're a U25 team. So they really try and find, um, I guess my, my age group of rider, like those guys coming out of college are still in college that, you know, maybe aren't good enough for like the, the action, um, U23 team that are doing all these, uh, world tour races, but you know, kind of that second tier of rider who are super good and still dedicated to the sport, but um, maybe didn't start as like juniors mm-hmm. and don't have that super deep background. Well, and that's during that period where that's how you and I met was was that year of 2017 and, and the, con- the mutual connection that you and I have and how we have uh, been able to know one another is uh, is Matt Zimmer. Uh, you were, sure you were Yep. You were teammates with Matt Zimmer. And I remember having many conversations with Matt to your point about that professional support that Gateway offered is everyone on that team was aspiring to be in, to have a breakthrough and get on a, a higher level squad and earn a paycheck and go to bigger races. And, and, and that's, uh, that's just an understood thing, but he would be confronted and be thinking about, but we, you know, if I'm going to make that step to this next team, I'm getting in many cases, better support with Gateway than you would get perhaps with another team that are, that's at a higher level. And, you know, it's just something that maybe a, a lot of young riders just are not aware of. They think that every team provides, a, a, you know, tremendous support uh, and, and that you're going to get this paycheck. And it's just not always the case, is it? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think the uh professional cycling license might be a little broken these days um so you know you have all your different levels of professional cycling teams uh the lowest of which is a continental team um and then one step below the continental is called a domestic elite so oftentimes um you know in gateway's case they very much easily could have gotten that um continental license um it's i forget the cost but maybe it's 15 or uh 20 grand maybe um but in this case you know they forego that extra money that goes towards a professional license that honestly doesn't get you in really any more races it just gives you that uh air quotations pro status and they took that money to dedicate it more towards the riders so we got better support um you know oftentimes these these bigger continental teams will spend that money on the continental license but then the support will lack a little bit more so yeah i was super fortunate to have such great support um you know i and i'm sure all the other riders considered a pro team you know we were treated like pros we acted like pros you know we would take the races super seriously, but, you know, we were also, you know, hanging out, became super good friends with everyone. Uh, you know, we took advantage of all of our connections because most everyone was, had been cycling for a while. So, you know, we were able to piece together, um, you know, host housing and save money where we could, but yeah, we were definitely well supported. Yeah. I think that's something for young riders to just be aware of and, and know that, uh, being, you know, yes, becoming a pro, uh, that would be great. Earning a paycheck where you got to pay some taxes on that money that you're earning, that would be wonderful. Mm-hmm. But really ought to consider the support that you're getting. I think one of the other values of being on a team, say, like Gateway or others like them, is that in, in most situations, you're going to race. You know, you know that you're going to get the opportunity to race and, and showcase yourself, whereas uh, you might be sitting on the bench on the pro team. 
And, uh, you know, that's a big adjustment that a lot of young cyclists have to come to terms with is you make it, but that doesn't guarantee that you're going to get sent to races. And, uh, and so that's just something for young riders to think about. Uh, and so, yeah, you, you're with them for a couple of years. And as I said, that's, that's where you and I got to know one another. Uh, you and Matt Zimmer, uh, came to the, came to the chateau here on beach mountain and uh <laughs> like many others have with matt and we did some fabulous training rides and uh we got a little story from uh from that trip that you had here that we'll we'll share later on but uh so you you do that with them for a while uh but now you're on a team called cs velo and i'm not sure uh, yeah, how long have you been on the team? And maybe share a little bit about what, what the team is all about because I've read up on it, and frankly, their mission and their vision is something I think that everyone out there can identify with. Yeah, so CS Velo stands for Combined Strength. Um, I think most notably we kind of uh, um, concentrate on, uh, you know, maybe – cancer or um any kind of disability or you know any any just unfortunate events in life that um oftentimes are just better um controlled or suited and you know you can take advantage of other people to help you out with that so you know i think a lot of people in life just try to power through stuff and you know it's just, uh, it's just hard. And I think, you know, combined strength and just doing it together, I think is a, is a really good message that, you know, we, we as a team try to put out there and, uh, you know, teamwork through cycling as well as outside of cycling, um, is usually the best way to do it. Yeah. Well, listen, for the listeners out there, I'm going to put this in the show notes, to go to their website of csvelo.com and listen i can identify with this i have a it's not something i've ever really spoken about on the podcast i probably should but i mean i have a younger brother who's blind and uh has essentially been legally blind all his life and his vision has worsened and i've i've lived that up close i know what that's like and it's what has really made me appreciate every advantage I've ever had in my life, be it just good health uh, or good things. And it's just helped me to be grateful uh, for anything that comes my way and whatever hardship comes. I'm like, that's nothing compared to what my brother's been through. Nothing. And uh, sure. so, you know, what, what your team is doing, I, I, I applaud it and I think it's awesome. Uh, so, but for you, you know, what's your experience been like on the team? You, you've kind of, you know, notched out this area where, uh, you, you know, you're, where I talk a lot about, uh, specialists with say coach Zach Gregg or, uh, Matt Zimmer as well. As you get to these higher levels of the sport, uh, it's good to be a good all arounder, but you know, you've got people who specialize in, in sprinting or time trialing for you. You have your thing that you're really good at. Uh, so how have you been able to, to take your strength? Maybe you can share what that is with people and use it with CS Velo and then how you've capitalized on it, on these other things that you've been doing. Yeah. So, um, I joined CS Velo right before the pandemic struck. So, um, that first year, I guess this is my second year on the team. Um, the first year was just kind of strange. Like we had our training camp and then during the training camp, you know, the whole coronavirus thing shut down the country. So yeah, really, I, I saw my teammates for, um, you know, whatever, two weeks. And then, uh, we, kinda, we were just group messaging for a year. So it was, it was a really strange experience, but yeah, I've become super good friends with everyone on the team. Um, and then, yeah, so I guess this year the racing calendar has been kind of weird. Um, it's definitely more crit oriented. I feel like the bigger, um, road races and a few of the stage races, Redlands in particular, um, I think they just take a lot of pre-planning and organization that was just hard to do with, you know, the uncertainty of the pandemic. So. Yeah, I guess, um, you know, I've been able to take advantage of my uh, climbing abilities. So I guess, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely more of a climber. Um, 
you know, some of my teammates, I guess, on Gateway. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure Zimmer will attest to it. I'm a pretty, uh, um, I don't know, how do I put it? Mediocre bike racer. I'm, I'm very bad at sprinting. Um, I've never, I've never been over a thousand Watts in my, in my power numbers. So, um, yeah, I think the races that I excelled at were usually the, the harder ones where it kind of just dwindled down to a small group and there wasn't a lot of sprinting involved. So yeah, I guess I was able to take advantage of that. Firstly with the, the Everesting. Um, yeah, there's zero, zero sprinting involved in that. So it was just a seven hour uphill time trial. So well, um, let's, let's yeah. get into that story because I mean that's that's where your name just blew up. Uh, first, did you have any idea one when you set out to do this? Uh, was your goal to break seven hours, and did you know and at the time that once if I if I did this, that this amount of attention was going to come your way? <laughs> so. Uh, at the beginning of the year, I had heard about this whole Everesting thing, um, taking, taking advantage of the pandemic and, you know, everyone's isolated. So everyone is doing this thing called Everesting. And then, uh, a few of my teammates, um, did it earlier in the year and I was like, ah, that's cool. Like, you know, and they, they both, uh, completed it. They didn't go for the record, but. Um, you know, they completed in a pretty good time. And, and then remind people just exactly how much climbing that is. Uh, Mount Everest is 29,000 feet tall. Um, that's, that's a week. <laughs> that's, that's a huge week for most people. Yeah. <laughs> for me too. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I guess the, uh, the goal of the competition is to accumulate 29,000 feet of elevation gain over one climb so you got to do repeats of the climb until you get that much elevation um so yeah i mean i think i saw it it ended up being kind of a last second decision for me i saw it you know probably a month out i was like oh you know i think i could probably go for this um i kind of i uh, saw a climb out near charlottesville virginia that um i always did in training rides uh it's near wintergreen um, you know, it was just the steepest climb I could think of, you know, and then I went out, um, super low key, just me and my parents, you know, they just sat at the top of the climb and gave me bottles and some pop tarts at the top. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I went pretty hard. I didn't really put too much thought into it beforehand. And, uh, yeah, that first attempt, I came out with a, a pretty good time that was pretty close to the record. And, uh, yeah, I kind of came away with that thinking like, you know, wow, I think I could probably get this record. So, oh, yeah, was... so the first time you did it was not when you broke the record. No, I, I did two attempts. Oh my, oh my gosh. How, how much time <laughs> was there between the first and second attempt? Uh, I think it was like a week and a half. Oh my gosh. Oh. <laughs> so, Okay. Let's get into the nuts and bolts of this thing then. Did I guess the second time you did the same climb? No. Okay. So there were a few key changes I made the second time, one of which was the climb. Um, the first time it was uh, maybe 12.5% average for three-quarters of a mile, um, and then this climb that I got the record on was 15.5% for three quarters of a mile. Oh, 15 so, and a half? 15 and a half. Oh. So significantly steeper, and it was just a very steady gradient. Like it was, you know, probably never went over 16, never under 15. It was just steady 15 and a half, which um, thinking back was probably maybe a little too much for the gearing that I had. I didn't change any of the gearing, so I had a, uh, what is it? A thirty-six, twenty-eight. I think it was. <laughs> I would have thought much bigger on the bet, like you know, a thirty, thirty-two. Uh, oh gosh, at fifteen yeah. percent. I'll uh one one key statistic that uh has kind of caught on 
afterwards um, is that I went I went back after after the ride and analyzed how long um, I stood and how long I was sitting when I was going up the climb. Um, I was standing for over five hours of the ride. Oh my gosh, that was gonna be <laughs> that was gonna be my next question. Is of course having the right gearing is key, whether or not you're gonna be able to stay seated, get into a rhythm, but there's going to be some standing involved. That's, that's huge, man. That's huge. But then you also have the descent part too, because if you can't get down the climb quickly, uh, that's just going to add more time to the day. Yeah. So this ended up being a pretty good climb that I chose. It was just pretty straight. So I, um, you know, I just did a U-turn at the top and then didn't really have to think too much on the descent. Um, you know, there weren't any turns or anything, so I just had to break at the bottom and that was pretty much it. Mm. So that second time you said you made some, some changes were, you know, what was your strategy going in as far as, uh, say nutrition, hydration, support, uh, were you keying on any metrics to get you under that, under that seven hour mark? Yeah. So, um, yeah, the three big changes I made was the hill that I did, which we just talked about, um, nutrition and then pacing. So, um, I guess we can touch on pacing first. Uh, you know, I'd come that first attempt, I'd never really done a seven hour time trial, um, let alone even a seven hour ride. Like, you know, I could probably count twice maybe that I've ridden that far. Um, So I really had no idea what kind of power I could do. So, um, I went out probably a little too hard the first time and then definitely faded towards the end. But the second time I kind of hit the sweet spot and I really, I did pretty much the exact same power every single lap. Um, you know, I think I never varied more than like 10 Watts. Wow. So, um, I was kind of doing the, the top level of my tempo zone. Um, so for me, it ended up being like 320 watts every lap, and yeah, I. And so, how long think was I the duration? To like, what was the duration uh, each time? It was about seven minutes going up and then a minute going down, so eight, eight minute laps. Okay, so not a whole lot of recovery, even though it's full recovery. Or, or were you really kind of pushing it, you know, down to just speed up that descent? Um. Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely was not pedaling on the descent. I did a couple pedal strokes at the top to get up to speed, but yeah, um, you know, it was really just enough to catch my breath and you know, eat and drink on the descent, and then you know, do it, do it, do it again. I think it was like fifty something times. Wow! All right, so you do it, and I mean, you were just under seven hours too. It wasn't, mm-hmm. you know, it was, you just had a little bit of time to spare and you do it, you accomplish it and word gets out and then it just blows up. I mean, mm-hmm. every, I saw it, everyone saw it. And I remember just my eyebrows, you know, hit the sky like, holy cow, <laughs> that is, I can't even comprehend it. So what what went through your mind as afterwards, you know, you're a pretty humble person and you're soft spoken and you know, you're not going to go out there and pat yourself on the back, but a lot of other people, you know, reached out to you and, and there's a ton of attention and news articles and a lot that came from that. What was that experience like just as you're dealing with the media and the interest across the world? Because that wasn't just a little local thing. That was a global uh, that was a global shot that everyone saw and raised their eyebrows and said, holy, that's a, that's a new standard. And, and, uh, so yeah, what was that like for you? Yeah, that was pretty crazy. I'd never, uh, kind of received that media attention before. Um, yeah, that, that next morning I, I definitely had quite a few notifications on my phone. Um, you know, people congratulating me and everything, but yeah, it was a super cool experience. Um, it uh, actually, uh, it was actually a pretty stressful experience for me. I I did this attempt, and then, um, yeah, I want to say it was like two weeks after I moved down to Charlotte, North Carolina, and started my my job down here. So, 
yeah, there was there was a lot going on those that 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 month or so that um, yeah maybe I didn't have quite enough time to fully absorb you know how awesome it was but yeah it was, it was super cool to just see everyone reaching out and congratulating me. Well, it, it's a huge accomplishment, uh, and it's 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 admirable. Uh, there's very few people who can do such a thing. Uh, you know, maybe there's a lot of uh, professionals at the highest level if, if they put, you know, put their nose to the grindstone and really made it a focus. Uh, there's, I think, you know, that time could continue to just be driven down. And, and, and it has been. It has been broken, uh, you know, by, by uh, a guy uh, in, from Ireland. And uh, he, he broke it pretty, pretty significantly, actually. And, you know, when that... I'm trying to look and see when it actually he he broke this record. Maybe you know off the top of your mind. Oh, back this March, this spring. So you had this yeah. record for a while, and I'm sure there's lots of people who are just breaking this down, trying to figure it out. And and the the guy who uh, broke your record had it before you had the record. You got the record, correct? Correct. All right. So his name is Ronan McLaughlin. And he's from Ireland. And I'm going to put some links in the show notes about your uh, Everesting record that you set and also a link to his story about what he did and how he did it. But this guy, just like you, put a lot of, a lot of thought, changed uh, his equipment, his bike, and shaved off, I don't know how, he shaved off 20 minutes uh, from your time when you when you heard that news, uh, yeah, how did that hit you? Um, well, I think it was, uh, you know, it was what six months after I'd gotten the record, so I'd seen quite a few people go for the attempt, and you know, they were starting to get a little closer, but yeah, no one had broken it until then, and yeah, I think it was kind of, uh, it was definitely comforting that he broke it by so much. I feel like if it was, you know, any closer than that, I would be like, Ooh, maybe, you know, maybe I'll go for it again. Maybe I had a little bit in me, but yeah, I don't know if I had 20 more minutes in my legs from my last attempt. So yeah, I mean, I was, it was definitely, uh, you know, it was definitely a little sad, but yeah, I think he, uh, he was definitely putting some, some big effort into it. So yeah, I'm glad he got it. Well, all records are meant to be broken. Uh, you know, I mean, it doesn't matter what the record is. I think there's very few records in athletics that are going to stand the test of time. And I think over time, this one is going to continue to fall and, and will reach. It's kind of like the marathon record of, of getting under two hours for a marathon. I think there's you can improve upon it slightly. Uh, and and uh but again, still huge accomplishment. I mean, even uh, the when he broke it the first time, uh, before you broke the record. I mean, he beat Alberto Contador. So you know, it's one of those things where it just depends on who puts the focus on it. I go back to thinking about how, yeah, for yourself, how where's twenty minutes going to come from? Okay, well, you talked about pacing earlier, and. Uh, you know, maybe it's a pacing issue, varying the pace from uh, lap to lap, or uh, there's a way to do it. There's definitely a way to do it combined with, say, equipment or nutrition, uh, and, you know, and just slight better uh, decisions that are going to have a positive impact. So it's doable, but it's still a huge effort regardless. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, maybe I didn't put in as much effort into getting um, – super lightweight equipment as he did he he really pushed that end of it um and obviously he's a super good athlete so i think he kind of combined the two the two avenues of marginal gains to you know one uh complete package and yeah i think that's kind of what brought him the record um yeah i mean i think i could definitely uh shave quite a few grams off the bike i just used my regular road bike without any modifications or anything so yeah i could definitely bring that down um yeah definitely uh you learn a lot about your body and how much you can push um when when you're going hard for seven hours so yeah um 
you know, obviously training up to it, but yeah, I think a lot of, there's a lot of mental strength involved in it too. So, mm. um, what was your biggest takeaway from that experience? Just having done it when you're reflecting on it for just you, your own self and the value you take, what, what's your takeaway? Um, really just like seeing what your, your body and mind can accomplish. Um, you know, leading up to it, um, maybe I didn't really know what I was getting myself into, but even to this day, I'll look back and like, you know, look at the power numbers and just kind of the, the effort in general and see like, you know, wow, I, I, I did that. That was, you know, something that, uh, required a lot of mental fortitude to push through. So, um, yeah, I think it's just, uh, you know, I really saw that, um, you know, your, your body and your mind can really push through quite a bit. Well, you bring up a great point about uh, mindset, mental approach, and the power of the mind. It's something I speak on quite often with our team. I'm sure you've learned this. The higher you go in any sport, doesn't matter if it's cycling, basketball, baseball, football, anything, you continue to have breakthroughs, especially once you get past college, if you're continuing to compete past college and have a breakthrough uh, in the professional ranks, how important the mindset and the mental component becomes. Because then those, as you said, those margins get smaller and smaller and smaller. And how is it that you're going to be able to compete against people who are as good or better than you? And, yeah, I and, think. Uh, yeah, expand upon that. To, a the, to this day, um, I remember, uh, you know, this may be super cheesy. Um, you know, maybe Matt Zimmer remembers this too, but, uh, our director on gateway development team, uh, my first year on it, Chris Creed, his name is, uh, he, he told us this, that, you know, he had all of us stand up and put our arms up in the air. And then he says, uh, you know, now reach higher. And then we all reached a little higher. And then he says, now reach higher again. And then we were able to reach a little bit higher. And then he says, reach higher again. And then, you know, we were able to just squeeze out just a little bit higher. So each time we were able to reach a little higher than we had previously thought we could, even though, you know, we think we're reaching as high as we can, we can always reach that, you know, extra millimeter or whatever. So um, that kind of applies to sport and life in general, I guess. So, you know, whatever you think the top level is or the, you know, whatever your top limit is, um, you can always exceed that. Well, that's that's a great story, a great a great way to explain just yeah what what it takes at the highest level, and we all need that reminder uh, about you're capable of so much more, and and you just have to just push yourself and will yourself there, and the mind can play such a key role. Well, since then. Uh, you know, what's really spurned this conversation is that I got to see you just the other day and, and ride. Well, I rode with you, you know, every, everyone was racing, but you and I together, we were there in Asheville, North Carolina for the first ever officially sanctioned U.S. Grand Fondo National Championship. And you were there and you came away with the W, uh, National championship in the what age category is that? I guess twenty four through thirty four. Yeah, I think that that sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. So, let's talk about that a little bit. Uh, well, first off, congratulations. You know, it was no no small feat. Uh, the Grand Fondo crowd is it's it's a little what I've learned. It's a little similar, but different. It brings out people that. Uh, a lot of people have never heard of before who are extraordinarily strong riders. And uh, there is a whole different type of strategy that you have to take when you're only being, I guess, uh, uh, the results are based upon just time segments throughout the ride. Uh, share a, a little bit about your experience. You know, what were you expecting going into the, to the race? And as you were racing it, I know I mean, you're very competitive, and, and the guys that were going against you are also highly competitive. Uh, yeah, what was that like for you? Yeah, um, so I think Grand Fondas are, I think, probably the future of uh, 
American bike racing, I want to say. Um, they're just super fun. But, yeah, I think currently the crowd that's going to Grand Fondos are, you know, maybe the people that haven't been exposed to road racing or don't have the support to do all these bigger road races. So, yeah, maybe they're lesser known. But, yeah, there's some, some pretty fast guys out there that um, are doing these these kinds of events. So, yeah, like you mentioned, um, it's not like a road race where – you know, it's a start to finish race. Um, you know, first one to cross the finish line wins. This is more of a, um, a segment oriented. So, you know, we're pretty much going for Strava segments and your accumulated time over these, uh, few segments during the Fondo, uh, accumulate to your overall time. And then whoever has the lowest time wins. So in between these segments, it really doesn't matter how fast you go. So, think that's the cool part about fondos that um you know everyone starts together and then you roll out of town um just a big old group ride and then you know you hit this first segment and you know everyone goes berserk and you get your competitive spirit going on and everyone's racing and then you get to the end of that first segment and then you know you have whatever 20 more miles of just chilling and talking with everyone which I think you really miss out in road racing where, you know, you're going hard the whole time. You don't really get to talk with anyone. And, you know, typically after, you know, a, a standard road race, you know, everyone stays for awards and then you're peacing out going back home. Whereas this grand fondo, you're socializing, getting to know everyone during the ride. And then, you know, in this case in Asheville, um, they had like a little, party dinner party lunch party kind of thing with all the awards and uh free food afterward free beer so everyone was just having a good time um and yeah i feel like you kind of miss that in standard air racing so yeah grand fondas are a, a super good time and oftentimes you get to really enjoy the scenery more because you're you know kind of chilling in between the segments so um, in this case, Astral, it's a pretty beautiful mountainous terrain. So, um, yeah, Fondas are awesome. I recommend them. Well, it and it's a challenging course. Every course that uh, the Grand Fondo National Series has is a challenging one, and, and Asheville was definitely uh, ranks up there in the difficulty. You know, total miles for uh, the long uh, route was 95, 96, had about just under 9,000 total feet of climbing. And – and to put that in perspective, I'm not sure what your total ride time was for the day, maybe around five hours, a little more. But, you know, your segment time, there's four time segments, and you came in for those time segments. I, and this is like, it's hard for me to fathom this, but you averaged over 20 miles an hour for those four segments with a total time of an hour and seven minutes and 59 seconds, which you won by almost a minute and a half uh, against second uh, over second place. But uh, there's there is some strategy in this, isn't there? Yeah, there's definitely a different strategy than typical road racing. That um, honestly, I don't I don't even think I know the the best strategy. Um, you know, I think there was a group that kind of hammered the whole time in between the segments as well, and you know, maybe they tired themselves out. Um, yeah, there, maybe there's also kind of starting at the back of the group and finishing at the front kind of thing, but then you want to beware of people that are not as fast and you got to go around them. So yeah, there's definitely a, a, a different dynamic and strategy involved in Grand Fondos. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, I think the key things, like you said, it's a lot of fun and it's just, you know, during those segments, everyone is pushing themselves and going really hard. But the in-between is, uh, you can you can ride the in-between, you know, fast and quick, but it's chill. Everyone's stopping at the rest stops, taking their time, and ramping things back up. And I just, I enjoy them. And I encourage everybody to uh, try them and have fun. I understand it's not for everybody, but it is a really fun way to uh, enjoy the bike, enjoy the day. And the promoter of that series, Ruben Klein, I think does a really good job for uh, engaging everybody afterward, you know, having food, having drinks, giving out awards, having a raffle, just doing things that's going to make the experience more rewarding beyond 
the bike and off the bike. And I think that's something, yeah, you know, that we're all looking for is just that fellowship and that, that feel uh, of community. For sure. Yeah. I think that's the, probably the major takeaway I'd say about Grand Pond is it's, yeah, just more of a community event and, you know, you're not just coming in, racing, leaving. It's more of a, you know, you get to know people. Yeah. Okay. So one final thing, uh, we're going to wrap up this with a, with a final story. And, and that is, uh, your trip to, as y'all like to call it, Chateau de Hall of (laughs) (laughs) coming to the high country and, uh, staying here at beach mountain with me and uh at the time your teammate and friend matt zimmer you guys came up here i can't remember uh how long you stayed when you were here that time but i remember it vividly going on rides with you guys but i want to hear the story of the day you set the beach mountain k-o-m because that had stood the test of time i believe it was cameron cogburn if i remember correctly who had it before and I guess maybe tell the story of how you and Matt decided we're going to go for this thing. And for anybody who has never either driven up Beach Mountain or ridden up Beach Mountain, I want to tell you, I drive up it every single day. I ride up it, eh, you know, maybe four or five times a year. I have another way I love to come up the backside of Beach Mountain that I enjoy more. But it is a very tough climb. It's over, look, right at three miles, averages 10%. There's gradients far worse than that, but talk us through, like, were you motivated to get this KOM or how you and Matt, I know Matt wanted it and you just happened to be visiting and uh, you ruined the party for him, I think. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think we, uh, so yeah, we, we came down to Chateau de Hall as I think Matt (laughs) coined it, but, uh, um, yeah, I think you know, we had like a little training camp down there and I had never been down there. And, you know, beforehand, Matt was like, uh, yeah, we should, we should go for this beach mountain KOM. It's, you know, the, the climb that goes up to Tim's house. And I was like, uh, sure. I mean, you know, I've never been there, but whatever. Um, and then, yeah, with that first time driving up, I was like, oh boy, what are we getting ourselves into? <laughs> um, but yeah, I think, uh, you know, I want to say the day we did it, um, it was like the, I think there was like a lunar eclipse or a solar eclipse or something. Um, so yeah, I I think I remember us like watching that and then, uh, riding down to the bottom and we were like, you know, we can't really do a lead out on this because we're going like five miles an hour. There's no aerodynamics here. So yeah, we kind of just, hit the bottom hard and you know we're kind of just riding with each other and uh yeah i mean i guess we're we're able to get it i don't uh i i don't think we like kind of realized what the time was or anything we just went hard up it and yeah i think once we uploaded to strava later on we realized that um yeah i think both of us would have gotten the KOM. We beat yeah. both beat Cameron's time, yeah. but uh, yeah, I think I was able to edge out Zimmer a little bit at the top there. Yeah, you you were able to break 17 minutes for the effort, and it was just under 17 minutes, and Matt was just over it. I think you you got him by seven seconds, and mm-hmm. that was uh, that's that's that was back in 2017. It doesn't seem like four years ago that you guys were here doing that, yeah. but but yeah, 2017. Your record still stands. Does uh, it? Yes, it does. It still stands. It's it's one that that a few people uh, on the team would love. They would love to have it, but very so few people can go for it. Because, like you say, uh, you just have if you're going to do something like that, you just have to go as hard as you can and pace yourself. And whatever the time is, is what the time is. Because it is such a difficult climb, and there's not really an easy way to go up it. Yeah, there's definitely not an easy way. Um, I think I remember us going out a little too hard and uh, really fading at the top, which we probably bled a little time there. So, yeah, I think pacing is probably pretty key on that one. Yeah, well, uh, I'm, 
you know, I'll let you know if there's anyone who uh, who's gonna who's gonna make a go at that. And I'm sure a lot of these guys around here are glad you didn't stay longer because there's other <laughs> KOMs that uh, uh, that are are prestigious in the eyes of people who live and ride here in the high country. But that <laughs> one, that one's really at the top. And uh, man, uh, it's just it's it's admirable and uh, it's a it's a it's another good accomplishment. Uh, and so one of these days, maybe Matt will come and try to make another attempt without you being here. Otherwise, you're, <laughs> you're going to smoke him at the end. So maybe that's I'm not. I'm not too far from you these days. So maybe I'll come out and uh, give someone a lead out. Or that, something. That's true. That's true. Well, good. Well, Sean, I really appreciate you taking the time being on Under the Sun today and sharing your story and telling telling uh, uh, the listeners just about how you got into the sport and, and what it's meant to you. It sounds like it's really been a, a wonderful part of your life and you're making the most of it and i admire you for what you're doing and, and how you go about doing things so uh just keep pushing keep doing i really appreciate you too and uh just being on the show and sharing this with everyone. yeah thanks tim it was, it was fun talking about bikes cool all right thanks listeners appreciate you tuning in and uh if you like what you heard please share it with a friend Go to your favorite podcast platform, like and review and leave a comment. Spread the good word to everyone else. Uh, Help us expand our audience and keep coming back for more. All right. Thanks a lot. Peace out.